Well, Action Alerts Plus members and AAP podcast subscribers, we have a wonderful conversation ahead of us. Uh, it's one that I think is uh, very pertinent given where we are, not only in the questions about the economy, but also some of the things that we're seeing unfold when it comes to oil. And by that, of course, I mean recent supply chain cuts uh, from OPEC Plus, concerns over rising energy prices, and of course, over the long term, the larger question of true energy independence. And here to talk to me about all of that, the energy market, and how his company is positioned to capitalize on all of that, we have Ed Kovalik, Chairman and CEO of energy company Prairie Operating Co., and it's focused on oil, natural gas, and yes, natural gas liquids. Ed, thank you so much for joining me. Chris, it's a pleasure to be here today. Thanks for having me on. Oh, happy to do it. I mean, look, energy is always a big topic, especially um, you know now. Uh, I'm coming into talking with you, and I've just read the flash PMI data for August from S&P Global, and one of the comments that jumped out at me was the rise in energy prices that are causing renewed pressure on input prices. So you know, of course, this is going to be an issue. Um, you know, we'll talk a little more about that and, and the market opportunity. But Ed, you know, I, I think before we get into that, I really want to set the table because while you're, you know, like I said, chairman and CEO at Prairie, you're not new to the energy business, right? I, I, I think it, it bears touching on the fact that you were actually a, a founder and the managing member of a merchant bank, KLR Group, that was focused on the energy sector, correct? Yeah, that, that's absolutely correct. I've been doing this for a long time. I don't really want to date myself, but I've been <laughs> here since the beginning of the shale revolution. And, you know, it's it's really exciting to watch it evolve in, into the industry that it is today. So what was it, if I if I can ask, you know, you know, a lot of people have different interests, different passions. What attracted you to energy originally? Well, a couple things. Uh, number one, just the fact that energy is such a fundamental need for humanity, uh, really facilitating the quality of life that we've all become accustomed to, but also helping to pull the rest of the world out of poverty. And so that really is what I'm passionate about uh, with respect to the energy industry. The other piece to it is frankly that it's it's just cool you know the fact that we can <laughs> uh fracture rock and go back into oil fields that had been left for dead mm -hmm. uh oil fields that are off, often date back to the 20s 50s 80s whatever the vintage uh the fact that we've developed this type of technology is really really cool i think it speaks to the heart of american innovation and you know uh, it, it, that was extremely appealing to me as an executive. And I think that, you know, the last piece of it was that it's a simple business and, you know, I'm not that smart of a guy. So businesses where, you know, you have to focus on creating a product and a marketing strategy and find your product market fit and so forth and so on were always um too complicated for me to want to endeavor in and so the the concept of a, a straightforward manufacturing business which is really what energy is all about uh was always really appealing to me because you can understand 
uh, your cost structure, your bottom line, and communicate that to your shareholders much more efficiently, in my opinion, than businesses that are, you know, far less predictable. And so, you know, that's that's really what drew me to energy and more specifically in the oil and gas business. And the fact that there seems to be, you know, steadily increase as, uh, you know, um, economic conditions continue to rise around the globe doesn't hurt either. No, you know, in fact, the only consistent thing about the energy industry has been growth in demand over the last 120 years. Now, you know, you've got your year over year volatility and quarter mm -hmm. over quarter volatility that all, you know, everybody on the street loves to speculate about. But if you follow that demand curve over the history of uh, hydrocarbons, it's, it's pretty darn predictable. Yeah, I, I, you know, you funny, you, you touch on something that I think is one shortcoming of uh, Wall Street investors, increasingly traders, is is the focus on the, you know, we'll, we'll call the very short term, right? Notching mm -hmm. the next quarter, the next quarter, the next quarter. Whereas, you know, sometimes if you step back and you you take an appreciation for the evolution of an industry or re-evolution as the case may be here, um, you, you can see that longer term, uh, you know, growth vector emerge. So, but, but anyway, anyway, so you were in the merchant banking industry for, um, energy and now you're here at Prairie. What led to the formation of Prairie and bringing you to it? Well, much to the chagrin of my wife, uh, to whom I swore I would never go back and do this again. Um, I was really drawn back into the industry after the pandemic, uh, having, you know, taken a bit of a, of a break during that period of time. Um, really, as you know, I saw prices starting to percolate back because, as we just talked about, demand percolated back and the world burned through um, much of the storage that we had in, in oil and products uh, post pandemic. Uh, I just wanted to come back to the industry that I that I love. And uh, the trick was finding an asset that was big enough and uh, economic enough to build a larger business around, which is really where my my passion was, uh, and to bring it public. And so uh, a lot of people said, hey, you know, Ed, you're nuts to want to bring an oil, pub oil company public in this day and age. And, and maybe we are nuts, but, you know, we think the macro is turning in such a way as to make this a really attractive platform. And so that's what drew me back into the business. So let me ask you this. So the, the the pushback, I think that the average person would suspect that you were getting would be something like this. Ed, you know, uh, you know, the, the push towards clean energy, government subsidies for clean energy, solar, wind. What what makes you think oil and gas is the place to be? And, and my, my suspicion that you're going to get to is, you know, we can be a far cleaner energy company than the past and we can leverage technology to be more productive am i am i right yeah that's absolutely true i mean if you listen to a lot of people uh there's a common refrain that we're not going to need oil and gas in 10 years and so we're a we're a dying industry uh you know i candidly think that that's uh extremely misguided uh and and you know couldn't be further from the truth and being a contrarian, obviously, you know, I want to be in that business. Um, the other, the other reason people told us we were nuts is because 
there's been a lot of capital flight from the industry, lack of institutional capital driven by, again, the belief that this is a dying uh, industry and, and we won't need oil and gas anymore uh, in, in a decade. And also driven by ESG pressure that you know we're not a clean industry. And so that's something I also want to prove is that we can really produce oil and gas in this country uh, more cleanly than anywhere else in the world. And that's what we ought to be doing. We ought to be adding incremental production, incremental barrels uh, in this country in a way that is emissions free uh, and as you know uh, as um, uh, cleanly as possible with respect to all of our operations uh, and and production as compared to places in the world that just don't care about how they produce oil and gas and so as a globe if we're concerned with uh, the environment and global warming and you know emissions then we ought to be concerned about where we're adding those incremental barrels and how we're adding them. And so, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, it's our mission to add the cleanest possible barrels to the energy mix as we grow. Now, Ed, a few minutes ago, you said finding an asset that you could that you can scale a large business on. Um, a couple of days ago, I believe you guys had a press announcement saying that you've now reached 27,000 acres. Is that right? Yeah, so we we just closed on the balance of our acquisition in Weld uh, County, Colorado, which is uh, 37,000 total acres that we control. Um, we began that acquisition in May when we bought 3,000 of those acres, and we just completed that acquisition. Now, this sounds, sounds like a very sizable piece of land, so I have to ask, how was Prairie or the company that was to become Prairie able to, you know, get this toehold and eventually build out to such size? Well, you know, we've we've been looking for the right package, as I stated, to um, really give us a lot of inventory so that we could have a clear path to develop something aggressively over the next decade uh, and, and build pretty strong production growth during that period of time. Uh, we had a relationship with uh, the in individuals that own this acreage uh, and spent a lot of time uh, evaluating it with the help of various uh, petrophysics consultants, engineers, geologists, so forth and so on. But, you know, the DJ Basin in general in this area in Weld County has been of interest to us for a long, long time. Uh, I remember building a company in the Permian, and at that time we were evaluating other basins that we, we thought had similar types of economics and the DJ was always a really close second to the Permian uh, for those reasons. And so it's a zip code that's been a target area of mine personally for years and it was just a matter of finding the right asset to uh, put into Prairie to go develop here. And, and if I look at your investor presentation, you, you have a lovely map in there that kind of shows where you are, but it also shows, if I remember correctly, other companies are kind of clustered in and around there, right? I think Chevron's in there, Occidental might be in there. So is it, it really came down to you guys being able to work with the owners of that particular area to win the land, is that is that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, in our industry, um, there's sort of a tradition of, of landmen going out and consolidating acreage positions. Uh, and so 
you know, we were we were friends with the landmen that consolidated this acreage position that allowed us to sort of buy it in one in one chunk, if you will. Um, but we were attracted to the area because, as you noted, you know, we are surrounded by major players and a theme uh, that that I'm a big fan of is really being a fast follower of big companies. Uh, we don't want to spend a lot of money trying to figure out the science behind you know any kind of resource play in terms of how to best drill and complete wells, how to best operate facilities, so forth and so on. And so we look for places where the majors have already spent all of that money to figure out the right completion design, figure out the right spacing of wells in a unit, uh, and really everything else that there is to figure out about operating so that we can then come in behind them and hire the same consultants and hire the same service companies that they've used to leverage on all that time and money invested by the majors. And so that was absolutely a key consideration for us uh, choosing this location to purchase as well. So a few minutes ago, you talked about um, zero carbon, uh, cleaner energy. So if, if you're doing in the same, if you're um, drilling in the same areas as these other companies are, what's what's the point of differentiation for Prairie that makes it unique, if you will? Sure, uh, and I think that's a great question, and it really speaks to two things that we're focused on. You know, environmentally, um, we'd like to produce oil and gas here with as little emissions as possible. Uh, part of that is facilitated by the fact that we have access to a tremendous amount of line power that's available, so we can possibly run uh, an e-rig here uh, to lower our emissions. Uh, we can run facilities off of line power. Uh, the alternate to line power would be burning diesel. And so we want to try to avoid burning a lot of diesel in our operations. Uh, another theme here is possibly bringing some of the technology that we learned in the Permian around water recycling and refresh and being able to use the water that we complete wells with to refresh that and reuse it as much as possible. So. You know, I, I'm hopeful that those kinds of operating practices will help set us apart. But I think the biggest factor for investors to understand about us as a differentiator is our business model. And we're really trying to do something on the one hand that's very simple, but it's also very unique. And that is to operate without any debt so that we don't have any kind of debt service costs or overhang with respect to having to refinance that debt. And the other novel thing about our operating model is that we are uh, endeavoring to reinvest uh, almost all of our revenue back into the ground so that we can grow our production base very, very quickly. I think what we've witnessed in our industry is um, really slow to no growth amongst a number of our peer companies. And there are a lot of good reasons why they're doing that. But we don't have any of those legacy issues to contend with. And so, you know, as really a newborn company uh, with the ability to be whatever we want to be and without the burden of, of debt, uh, we can recycle almost all that revenue to 
create value for investors through through growth rather than through a, a you know fairly low dividend. So how how is it Ed, that you guys are able to be in that position and fund the build out you talked about over the next ten years? You know, talk to us about the strength of the balance sheet. You know, because obviously that what you're saying here is that's a key differentiator. And, and the great thing about it is if you don't have that debt service, it allows a lot more of your profits to quickly drop to the bottom line. Yeah, you know, I think that this is a great topic because if you look at how our industry evolved, uh, we went from really being destructive of capital and uh uh, an industry that's been known for you know waves of bankruptcies, and so it's it's easy to appreciate in that context why many of our peers, if not most of our peers, focused on returning cash flow to investors, particularly as they emerged from the the pandemic lockdowns uh, and huge volatility that commodity prices experienced in that period of time, uh, and so that. That was a great idea and a great endeavor, but I think what we're finding now is that in a rising interest rate environment, it's difficult for oil companies to compete with even T-bill rates. And so, you know, I believe that the industry is is increasingly less attractive to investors today than it was over the last two years for those reasons. Mm -hmm. You know, if you look at performance of EMPs, in that period of time, you know, we've outperformed the market, but we're still trading at historically low multiples uh, for the reason that I stated. And so, mm -hmm. you know, the way we see the world is the market doesn't need yet another two or three percent dividend paying company. Right. And so we're we're not focused on that. You know, we'll let the rest of our peers return cash. We're focused on taking that cash, recycling that cash and getting really high production growth as a way to create value in the stock itself and stock appreciation, um, which is a bit of a, you know, back to the future idea. We're kind of going back <laughs> right. to the early days of this industry. Um, but again, without the leverage overhang, we, we think we can accomplish that pretty effectively. So where are you in the production phase, if you will? Well, we're just getting going. So we just okay. acquired this acreage. Uh, we now have to, the next step for us is going to be to file permits, uh, which we intend to do in the next month or so. Uh, and once those permit applications are submitted for the first batch of wells in Weld County, um, you know, we'll go through that process. Uh, and upon having those granted, we'll get drilling. So that could be some number of months before we're ready to go. Uh, in in that period of time that we're waiting, uh, we're pretty busily evaluating other acquisition opportunities, um, many of which already have uh, drilling locations ready to go to facilitate you know us possibly being able to begin development earlier uh, rather than waiting for our own permits to get approved. So you know it's a it's a target-rich environment in this industry today, which is another exciting piece to the, the company that we're trying to build here. So, you know, when you speak with investors, what what's the, you know, if that's the activity for the next, call it, you know, sev several months, let's say, 
when what, what's the longer term you know roadmap or or what what are some other signposts you know do you expect to be drilling is that a a 2024 event 2025 event you know can, can you just kind of help us wrap our heads around you know what we should be thinking of to gauge success for prairie sure so i think with respect to the permitting process that i just referenced that's a 2024 uh drilling commencement um, with respect to acquisition targets that we're looking at today, uh, that would be sooner. That would be, you know, Q4 of this year, we would get going on some of those targets. And so th that's probably a good way to think about our timing. Okay. So one way or another, it sounds like, uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, this time next year, you guys are actually starting to extract. Absolutely. Excellent, excellent. And I saw in your presentation that you guys can uh, put a well in place in four to six days. Did I see that? Yeah, and it's it's not just us. It's the fact that this area is really easy to drill. And so all of our peers are also drilling wells in four to six days. Okay. Uh, in fact, something shocking was Occidental just put out news that they drilled a well in one day. Um, near nearby us, setting a new company record. They did that in 24 hours. So it's it's n really not that we're special in any way, but this rock is easy to drill, and that allows for both tremendous efficiency because we can easily drill, you know, north of 60 wells a year with one rig, which is unheard of compared to other basins. But it also allows us to uh, really target an extremely fast capital recycle rate so that not only can we drill those wells really quickly, we can get a return of capital invested in those wells also very quickly. And then again, allows us to just keep recycling that, that money. So that really lets us scale the business very, very quickly if we're not focused on debt service and returning dividends in the immediate future. So if you're able to drill, and I'm just trying to do some back of the envelope math, so if you can help me, if you can drill, drill excuse me, 60 wells a year or more than that, and you've got an abundance of acreage, right? Um, what, what does that start to look like in terms of, I, I, you know, normally I would say return on investment, right? Mm -hmm. but, but, but in this case, um, you know, I, I don't know the metrics that you've kind of shared with uh, investors, but, um, you know, roughly how many wells in, you know, you know, two, three years could you guys have up and running? Have you guys talked about that at all? Yeah, I think we're looking to probably start slowly and, you know, pace ourselves to maybe drilling about 24, 25 wells a year for the first quarter or two. Uh, and prove that you know it's going well and learn whatever um, we need to learn to be able to do that better and better. And then from there, we would pick up the pace with a target drilling rate of probably 60 a year. Uh, and at those levels, you know, we scale our, our revenue and EBITDA very, very aggressively. Uh, you know, with our last business, just to give you a sense in the Permian, we went from zero barrels, uh, which is where we are today with Prairie, to about 23,000 barrels a day of production in 18 months. Uh, we scaled to, 
you know, from zero EBITDA to about 225 million of EBITDA in that period of time. And that was using a, you know, commodity price stack when oil was in the 50s. So, you know, just to give you a sense of, of where we're heading with this business, we, we really are, you know, endeavoring to create another mid cap company uh, in the next, you know, two to three years at, at that pace. And what's your, we didn't talk about this, Ed, but what's your outlook for oil prices? Well, <laughs> you know, this is, this is the old joke in this industry. You know, we, we all have an outlook, but it's, right. all, it's always wrong. Um, <laughs> I, I'll tell you that I think that the supply demand Im- imbalance today is probably more stark than I've seen it for a number of years. I think that the on the supply side, um, there's been a lack of capex investment for mm-hmm, mm-hmm. years now. That's built up to, you know, I saw some staggering analysis uh, last week that showed that we we as an industry industry need about 4.9 trillion dollars of investment between now and 2030 just to keep up with demand, and so. In, again, in, in a rising interest rate environment, I'm not sure we're we're going to make those investments to keep up. Um, also, you know, obviously, shale uh, is a fast decline business model because we produce 60% of the reserves from a well in the first three years. And so, unless you stay on that drilling treadmill as an oil and gas company in the shale business or unconventional business, you're going to have a decline in production. And we're starting to see that now where production has been flat, even though rig counts have come down right. uh, because companies have been completing a lot of their ducks, their drilled uncompleted wells. Um, but that duck inventory is also really precipitously falling. And so I think the inevitable is that you're probably going to see a dip in production in this country. Obviously, you've had a dip in production uh, amongst OPEC uh, through policy, uh, and I think they've really taken back the mantle as the swing producer in the world as a result of that. Um, but as I, you know, we're kind of being out of this conversation, demand keeps rising. So mm-hmm. in that context, there looks like uh, it looks like we're heading into a supply shortfall towards the end of this year that could be pretty material of a few million barrels a day. Let me let me flip it around and let's say that this uh, recession that everybody keeps thinking about actually happens. I know the data doesn't point to that as yet. Um, you know, the U.S. economy, by all accounts, when we compare, you know, the big ones, which are, you know, China, Eurozone, UK, it, it is the best economy of the four right now. Um, but let's just say for argument's sake, we, we get that recession, then all of a sudden demand for oil comes down, maybe supply rebalances. You know, do we see oil prices retreat, you know, from 80, 85 to 70, 75, something lower? And what, what I'm trying to get at is for, for Prairie, wh- where does it become problematic, if you will, if oil prices were to fall to what level? Sure. And that's a, that's a great question. You know, again, I, I think there's probably a little bit more upside risk to prices for for 
some of the reasons we we've talked mm -hmm. about and, and, totally, and totally, others. Totally agree, by um, Totally agree. Yeah, and, and and by the way, I I hope I'm wrong because I'd much rather prices live at seventy five dollars forever because that's a healthy price at which um, they're they you know energy is affordable for everybody, um, fuel is affordable at the pump. Um, oil companies should be able to make a healthy profit at that level, and so I'm really a believer in long-term price stability at those types of levels. But if I'm wrong and prices fall, Prairie's going to be just fine. You know, we our break-even is about $28, $29 a barrel. So, you know, we, we make money at much lower prices. Um, we're also, again, you know, unlevered. And so we don't really have to produce at any level just to service debt. Uh, that said, we're probably still believers in hedging and taking risk off the table and locking in some level of our production and prices. Uh, and if prices do come down and we're all wrong about our outlook on supply and demand, you know, we have the ability to just, you know, tamper down our production and prices go berserk on the upside. We have the ability to accelerate production. So, you know, I think we enjoy a little bit of that luxury to modulate, you know, depending on what the world looks like going forward. I like I I like that flexibility because you are right. You know, we, we've seen time and time again that, you know, people have to operate simply to keep, you know, the quote unquote lights on and service that debt. That's uh, that's not a position that you want to be in it, where your incremental margin is negative on on every additional, you know, barrel, if you will, that that doesn't really help anybody in the long term. Um, Ed, you've been really generous with your time. Uh, before we get out of here, as it relates to the uh, the energy industry or prairie in particular, anything we didn't talk about that we should? No, Chris, I think we covered it all. You know, at the end of the day, um, you know, I'm a big believer, as as you know, my my parents always taught me to keep it simple, mm -hmm. and that's really what we're trying to do is just deliver, you know, a simple business model for investors to understand. Uh, you know, we were blessed every day we wake up, we're living the American dream. We started an oil company uh, in 2023. You know, it's 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 a great country that we live in where, where we could you know, actually do something like this. And so, you know, I, I think uh, what we're bringing to the market is exciting in its simplicity. And, you know, we're going to endeavor to uh, deliver great value to shareholders through, you know, growing our production base through the through the drill bit. And, Look forward to coming back and, and talking to you about that as we grow. I was just going to say, Ed, I can already see you coming back on the podcast sometime in 2024. As uh, if you'll pardon uh, the language, things are flowing. Amen. Well, thanks again, Chris. <laughs> Thank you, Ed. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye.